Good morning to each of you. It's been good to be here this morning already. I enjoyed that lesson. I enjoy um, starting into the Christmas season right after Thanksgiving. It uh, seems a little early, but it's a good thing to uh, have that on our minds all of the year, actually. Might have been a little bit why I chose the um, the sermon that I'm going to be talking about today. Um, it's from the book of Luke, chapter 10, and it's the parable of the Good Samaritan. Uh, so thinking of neighbors and Christmas caroling and Christmas cheer and thinking of others around us kind of fits, I think, with this story. But uh, this has been on my mind for some time. Um, I actually used this parable, this story, I'm thinking it's been four or five times at Amherst at the jail, and uh, it always seems to resonate with the inmates there. There's some real pathos in this story, some real drama, some real, uh, some real robbers. Some, um, there's roles in this story, the characters in this story, we can identify with almost each one of them at some point or other in our lives. So it's a story for all seasons, I think, and uh, certainly fits well here at Christmas time. The question, of course, the title of this message is, Who is my neighbor? And uh, it gets deeper as we go along. It's not just the folks whose mailbox is just down the road from us. <clears throat> so our lesson for today is a beautifully simple yet amazingly complex story that's fundamental to living life well before the, before the Lord. That's my uh, intro uh, sentence. I think the last time I used this story was just last month. And I was by myself that, that evening, and when the warden came with and opened the door, inmates' yellow, uh, orange suits started pouring in, and they kept coming and kept coming. And finally, there were 22 of us packed, or 23 with me, packed into the little classroom. And um, that was the, this was the lesson I used that night. And um, the discussion was quite vigorous. Um, it, was, it was a good evening. I had a number of you good Samaritans praying for me, and it was a, it was a good evening. <clears throat> Probably several reasons. One, uh, being familiar with this story and using it a number of times has been why I chose it. Another is that it's an area in my life that needs regular attention. Self doesn't like being distracted by the needs of others. We'd like to focus on ourselves. That's the human tendency. Parables. Parables are interesting. I like parables. I like stories. Most people do, especially young folks. Jesus told parables as simple stories that people could relate to. A lot of agriculture, a lot of common everyday life kinds of things that people of his day understood. Um, his parables should be taken to make a simple point. Uh, we tend to try to extract a lot more out of parables sometimes than, than Jesus really meant for them to have. So let's look for a simple point and then 
after that interpretation, we can feel free to make applications many different ways. And that's, this parable lends itself to that today. Uh, we'll see the simple truth that Jesus wants to teach us, and then we'll make a few uh, observations. And as I mentioned, one striking fact about this parable is that at different times in our lives, maybe all in the same day, we can identify as the different characters in the, in the story. So let's go on and look for Luke chapter 10. We'll be looking at verses 25 to 29 to sort of set up the story. And this was the, the lawyer who came to Jesus with a question. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. You have answered correctly, Jesus said. Jesus replied, do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? And we'll stop there and, and look at this just a little bit, how this uh, was set up. <clears throat> so Jesus is teaching a crowd. Um, don't know exactly where it was. Soon after that, he ended up at Bethany, another role, another story but we're not sure exactly where Jesus had this, uh, this sermon at, where he had the crowd that day. Uh, but in the crowd and, and the experts, the, uh, the leaders of the Jews, the scribes and Pharisees, etc., often came out to try to trip him up, to try to um, start an altercation, to find pretext with Jesus, something they could get him in trouble for. We're not really told here that this uh, this lawyer was hostile to Jesus. We'll give him the benefit of the doubt today and say that he was genuinely interested. He may have just wondered what this new teacher would say. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And it's a good question. Uh, ever since Adam and Eve looked sadly on the body of their firstborn, Abel, men have wondered about eternal life and hope beyond the grave. This mortal life can look pretty hopeless sometimes and full of trouble. We spend a lot of energy pursuing lesser things. We flail around trying band-aids and tonics and transplants. How do we actually find eternal life? And the crowd waited for an answer from their favorite teacher. What would Jesus say to that question? But as Jesus often did, he asks a question of the lawyer. He turns it back to him. You're the law expert. How do you read it? You know the law. What do you think it says? Jesus wisely looks for common ground, somewhere to start the conversation with this seeker. The lawyer was ready. He knew the book. Chapter and verse. Love, he said. Love God first. And with all your heart, mind, and strength, and then love your neighbor as yourself. Deuteronomy 6, 5, and Leviticus 19, 19 verse 18. He had the texts, he knew the answers. What was the lawyer thinking that he had just said? Maybe he was thinking that the love there was a feeling of some sort. 
We don't know, really. Maybe he was thinking that he lived at the end of a lonely street and had few neighbors and didn't have a lot of responsibilities there. Maybe he had checked all of these things off on his mental list but still had some real doubts. Maybe his understanding of love and neighborliness was too small. We don't know what all was going through the lawyer's mind, but he's all ears when Jesus replies. What was he going to say? Was he going to give him some additional information? Was he going to lengthen the list that you had to have? Was he going to say something completely contrary to Moses' law? No, Jesus says, you're right, so do it. Don't just feel it, act on it, show it. Practice this law and you'll have life. It was interesting this morning, Lowell pointed out that we're not told that um, Zachariah and Elizabeth had any run-ins with the law, that they were... Uh, godly people and that they had kept the law completely. Um, I think there's more to keeping the mechanics of the law. So the same problem was one that this lawyer had had. He knew the mechanics of the law. He probably could logically explain how he had kept this these set of verses. Um, Love that flows from a heart that loves God intensely and is in a relationship with God is more than just an idea, though. It finds expression in action towards its object. Genuine love, like genuine faith, proves its source through action. So though the lawyer may have thought he was feeling these things, he wasn't carrying it out. He certainly wasn't carrying it out with heart love, with God's love in his heart. And there was room for improvement. When Jesus said, you're right, just do what the law really means for you to do, he came up far short. He hadn't been practicing that. That's where the law faltered. Those were words that were written on the tablets of stone, but Jesus had come to write his new law on people's hearts. So, not surprising, the lawyer was probably a bit embarrassed in front of the crowd. He was used to arguing his case and, and having folks um, being impressed by what he had to say. Here he felt a little like a schoolboy who hadn't brought his homework or uh, hadn't done what he should have done. He likely felt convicted for not doing what he knew. If we try to love to fill that, that law in our own strength, we don't get very far either. So we can feel ourselves right along with this lawyer uh, lacking. But Jesus came to fulfill the law by enabling us by grace through faith to meet God's standard. That's where the eternal life is. So a lawyer friend, having heard and being convicted by the law he claimed to keep, he tried to limit it some by making it not so broadly applied. Maybe he'd be able to, to look better in Jesus' eyes. Maybe the ten people that he called his neighbors, maybe he had been trying hard with them. In other words, if keeping the law requires 
that level of love, maybe I can make it happen if I only apply it to a few people. You see, the word neighbor in Greek means someone who is near. That's kind of like we the connotation we usually have. Our neighbors just down the street, uh, probably just a few of them that we would call close neighbors. In the Hebrew, it meant someone that you have an association with. So obviously, we associate as a, as a brotherhood. We associate with our families. So I would have an obligation to love people that are close to me, that I get along with generally. Uh, that's where my obligations are. Jesus is saying a little more than that, isn't he? Uh, these interpretations that either the Hebrews or the Greeks would have taught would have pretty much limited your obligation to love to your fellow Jews, for sure. Uh, you wouldn't have needed to love, for example, the Roman soldiers prowling the streets looking for troublemakers or for the, especially the foreign shopkeepers whom you might have tried to drive a hard bargain with in the market, and certainly not those hated Samaritans who lived just over the hill in Samaria, especially not them, the heathens. While they claimed to be children of Abraham just like the Jews, claimed they worshipped God, they were descendants of mixed marriages and thought they didn't even have to come up to Jerusalem to worship, but that God would hear them up on Mount Gerizim where they had their own temple. Can you imagine? People were thinking. The lawyer was thinking. But wait, the teacher has a story for them. So now we move on into the parable after we, we see how Jesus set that up. And now the question that has been asked here, who is my neighbor? Jesus answers it with a story. And uh, this is a favorite of mine. Luke 10, verses 30 through 37. In reply, Jesus said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I come back, when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? asked Jesus. The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told them, go and do likewise. <clears throat> so that's the short story. A lot of drama here though, isn't it? So the setting of this story story of Jesus is uh, about an 18-mile rocky stretch of hilly country between Jerusalem and Jericho. Uh, a traveler there would descend about 3,000 feet or more from Jerusalem, and you would go down to Jericho, literally. Uh, Jericho was actually below sea level, 
And interesting climate there. Uh, the mountain range where Jerusalem sets is part of a range that kind of blocks all the moisture that comes off the Mediterranean. And a lot of rainfall happens in the Jerusalem and, and west area, but the rain all gets caught, kind of like the Cascades. It all gets caught on the mountains, and a lot of on the other side gets increasingly dry down towards Jericho, where the annual rainfall is only about eight inches. So pretty dry desert country uh, down there towards Jericho. 3,000 feet in 18 miles is pretty significant. Um, we had some pretty sharp drops in Guatemala. I remember from uh, Solola down to Panajachel was even more than that, I believe, and even a shorter distance. So I could identify a little bit uh, with the worth of drive, uh, not desert for sure. Um, a rugged, rugged path down through there. Couldn't be very wide. The, the, the rocky uh, hills wouldn't lend themselves to a to a nice road. It was a pretty rugged and rough piece of country to travel through. Uh, that said, it was a pretty important trade route and a lot of traffic went up and down that road. Uh, merchants with things to sell, uh, the spiritual pilgrimages up to Jerusalem. Jericho was still in Judea. Um, other people would travel that route. But the bandits that hid along the route and robbed merchants were, were very prominent. The Romans had a garrison there at some points. Rocky, dry, and dangerous are all words that describe this trip. So Jesus starts his story talking about this road and he has his audience. Everybody's listening. They know exactly where he met and what, what it was like and how realistic this story was. They maybe had traveled it themselves. Why did the man travel alone? They were probably thinking. Bad situation. But we're not, we're not judging the man. We're starting with him in this situation already. The story begins with this needy and vulnerable man in a bad situation. We don't know his nationality, skin color, or religion. Could have been anyone. Probably a Jew in their minds, but not necessarily. We, we, he could have been anyone. He was just a man in trouble. He was half dead. If no one came along to help, he wouldn't last long. No communication, little traffic. The situation was bleak. <clears throat> Time passed and the scorching sun dried up every drop of morning dew and beat down on that battered remnant of a human tossed like a useless rag doll. But wait, here comes someone. Not just anyone, but it's a priest. He spent his days in religious studies and knew those same verses that the lawyer had known all those scriptures about loving intensely, loving God and loving humanity loving your neighbor. He should have been the ideal person to help a person in need. Hope sprang up in the wounded man's heart. What? The wounded man stared in despair as the priest scarcely gave him a glance and hurried on down the road. Time passed, blood flowed, and his hope sank again. 
Then it happened again. Another religious man, a Levite this time, he was familiar with the law as well, all its requirements to love. Maybe, maybe he assumed that this tattered man laying there was outside of the scope of his requirements to love. And he passed on by. Despair. Close to death. Vultures starting to circle. Beyond hope. Then he hears another set of footsteps. Actually two sets. A man and his donkey. Hope revives momentarily until he sees him for who he is. A Samaritan. So he closes his eyes to avoid the heartbreaking sight of his last hope disappearing down the road. A Samaritan was the least likely to help. But he did. First kind words of sympathy reached him. Then gentle hands checked for a pulse. First aid of oil and wine was administered kindly till he seemed to be stable enough to transport he was helped on the donkey and supported by his now walking benefactor. They shuffled the remaining miles on down the hill to Jericho. So they found an inn. A room was arranged and good Sam cares for him through the shock, fever, and chills of the night. Come morning, the crisis is over. Duties call and while Sam needs to go, he arranges longer-term care and promises payment. Happy endings. And the crowd all sighed with relief, glad that it had ended well. So Jesus paused a moment for them all to think, and he asked the question then of his lawyer friend, so which of the three was the neighbor? The lawyer couldn't even bring himself to say the word Samaritan, but he finally said it was the one who showed mercy. <clears throat> and once again, Jesus was brief with his summary. You're right, he said. Go and live that way. So the story was over there for the lawyer and for the crowd. But they and we have a lot to think about, don't we? What are the lessons there? What were the lessons for that lawyer? And what are the one lessons for us? I think there are several. That simple uh, summary of the lesson, I believe, is as follows. Jesus wants us to love others regardless of who they are. Second, our neighbor is anyone that I need, anyone in need that I have the ability to help. And third, having the ability to help means having Jesus' love in my heart. Those three, I think, are the, is the summary of Jesus' teaching here. Let me repeat those. Jesus wants us to love others regardless of who they are. Our neighbor is anyone in need that I have the ability to help. And having the ability to help means that I have Jesus' love in my heart. That's part and parcel with uh, having that desire and ability to help means Jesus is working through me. Pretty simple maybe to, to tell that summary, to say that summary, but it's harder to grasp and difficult, impossible to accomplish on our own. 
So Jesus wants us to love our neighbors. If there are people he come in contact with, how can we avoid the reaction of the non-neighborly priest and Levite? We look around us and there's people everywhere that we come in contact with, aren't they? Here this morning, we will again this evening as we go Christmas caroling, you meet them all week. If those are our neighbors, won't we be swamped with needing to love them? How can we balance this? How can we, if Jesus wants us to do that, how can we avoid the reaction that the priest and Levite had in just turning away and walking on by? We don't want to be like them, but we have some human tendencies, don't, they, don't we? Here are some reasons that the some reasons that the inmates and I came up with as to why the priest and Levite didn't help, and I think it's um, I think it's informative for us too to think about our lives and why we don't tend to help our neighbors sometimes. One that I was told is you might get dirty. Um, situations aren't always clear-cut and onlookers might not understand what you're doing. We might feel the pain ourselves. The Samaritan did get down and got dirty and bloody and had to walk uh, when, he tried, when he actually helped this wounded man. Uh, it could be risky. Helping people can be risky. The robbers may still be hiding close by. We might feel some pain ourselves if we're not careful. Wouldn't it be more prudent just to leave this, uh, this setting and move on? Third one is we've got a schedule to meet. Helping someone will slow us down and take our time. No way I can get to my appointments if I take the time for this person. Here's one that the inmates liked. No one was watching. Uh, we maybe have some tendencies that way. If someone's looking, we might be more apt to help someone else. If there's no audience, we might move on. <clears throat> That's a human tendency. I think a, a hard issue as to why we don't help others who are in need is that we haven't experienced Jesus' love and forgiveness. If we have, we'll empathize with others. Those are just a few. I'm sure you can think of some other reasons maybe why you haven't in the past or why uh, you've seen others that haven't helped needy people. Just a few. There's probably a longer list. More importantly, uh, let's look at the Samaritan. Why did he stop and help? That's a more positive side to this story. What equips us to help the needy? I think the first and most important is having Jesus' love in our hearts. Uh, this Samaritan knew that somehow, I don't know how he had came upon this realization, but he knew that God loved him and he owed it to humanity. He had a debt to pay to humanity because God had loved even him. Number two, he had empathy. 
That's a word that means he had felt the pain himself. He had felt pain and rejection from others and apparently wanted to alleviate suffering in someone else. He knew what it was like to feel the snubs and maybe even physical pain from those that should have been his neighbor. Third thing, and this is uh, one I think we need to reflect on, he had the ability. He was able to help. Why? He had been blessed. He had, a, he had his health. He had a donkey. He had a purse with money in it. He had those things because uh, God had given them to him. We are responsible for the things that we have and God wants us to use them not just on ourselves, but on others. He wants us to be neighbors to others. So though he got down and dirty, took up his time, robbed his schedule, and spent his money, he loved his neighbor. This Samaritan did, and he left an example for all of us. So the question is, where do we find ourselves this morning? Are we a priest or a Levite? We've got some religion about us, but we might be hurrying down a road with a tight schedule. Or maybe we're even like the wounded man. Maybe we're the ones that need the help. Or maybe, maybe today you could be a good Samaritan. You have God's love in your heart. You've been blessed beyond measure. And God put someone in your path. What an idea. You could be... You could fit into Jesus' story. So who would you, who would your neighbor be? Would it be your adjacent property holder or maybe someone in China who gets a Bible because of the pancake supper next week? Um, is it a brother who needs a text of encouragement, some electronic um, Samaritan practicing? or a visit of encouragement, a telephone call, or is it a, your child hot with fever and it's three in the morning? There are many opportunities. As many people as we meet, there are opportunities for us to use that heart love that Jesus can give us and we can reach out and, and love others. So God can give us wisdom and grace and opportunities in His time there's a bigger conversation about boundaries and limits and human our human resources running out and many other things that come into play here, but usually that's not as big an issue as it is having the motivation to want to help others. And let's remember in a bigger sense that Jesus, remember the applications? Jesus is the ultimate Good Samaritan. He saw us as humanity wounded in the ditch and came down and did something about it. May God bless us all as we find the neighbors in our lives. Here's a little song I'd just like to read that uh, Wendy led a group in up at the music camp. Yesu, Yesu, fill us with your love. Show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. Talks about Jesus. Kneels at the feet of his friends, silently washes their feet. Master who acts as a slave to them. Neighbors are wealthy and poor. 
varied in color and race. Neighbors are near us and far away. These are the ones we should serve. These are the ones we should love. All these are neighbors to us and you. Then the last verse, loving puts us on our knees, silently washing their feet. This is the way we should live with you. So, Yesu, Yesu, or Jesus, Jesus, fill us with your love and show us how to serve the neighbors we have from you. So, God bless you as you do that this Christmas season. <laughs>